Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. This has been a fun one. Um, last week, was we had a great conversation on uh, murder and adultery. Um, it's been good. Today, we're going to start with um, eye for an eye. I don't know if your Bible has headings, but that's where we're going to start, eye for an eye. It says, and this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And it says in uh, Matthew 5, 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So um, in these first few verses, um, Jesus addresses four different issues that really involve interpersonal matters. None of these situations necessarily involve sin or breaking the law, um, whether it's God's law. Or, or civil law, and some of these issues even may seem small and insignificant or unrelated personal matters, but let's look at what Jesus was addressing and why this was so important to him and why it's important to us. So the first thing Jesus says is, you have heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. And most of us have heard this expression uh, it, but just in case you haven't, what it means is what was done to you, uh, let, that pun- let that be the punishment for someone else. Anything that was done to you, the equal um, punishment would happen upon them. An example of this is if someone were to punch you in the face and then you went and told, then uh, they would say, okay, now you punch them in the face. It's kind of hard to be like hit them with the same force uh, as someone else. We practice this in our house, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, <laughs> Not really, but sometimes, uh, every once in a while, you know, um, my youngest daughter, Ivy, and she's at the age where she doesn't know if I'm talking about her, but she, um, she's real, she's, man, she, she decks people. I don't know where she got it from, but she'll just, she, and she always likes to punch her big sister, and her big sister is like a softie, and honestly, Aurora could kick Ivy's butt if she wanted to, and sometimes I encourage it because Ivy punches Aurora so much. The other day, we're sitting in the back of the car, and Ivy just decks Aurora, and Aurora starts crying. She's like, she hit me, oh! And I'm just like, hit her back. (laughs) Just hit her back. Like, if you just hit her one time, and she feels you hit her, then she won't punch you back. Hit her back. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And Ivy's like, do it. (laughs) Do it. And she leans in closer for her to hit her, and she's all like, do it. I want you to. No, I want you to do it. And, I, and we're like, no. And we're like, no, maybe not. Maybe not. And she might, who knows what she's going to do to you? That kid, that's scary, dude. Like, that kid's crazy. So I'm not, I'm not saying to do that, but that's kind of what, like, do, do it back. That, and so Jesus is saying, you have heard this. 
And what he's referring to is Leviticus 24, 19, where it says, if a man injures his neighbor or fellow citizen, whatever he's done shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so shall the same be done to him. Right? So what would happen in today's world, since Evan messed up Craig's shoulder, we would mess up Evan's shoulder (laughs) or elbow. Sorry, I'm not a doctor. They all bend. Um, no, so, um, and we may look at this law, like when we look at this, when you think of like, when it says fracture for fracture, I, I was like, man, how do you ensure, you know, oh, he fractured my arm. Be like, okay, we're going to hit your arm with a hammer just and fracture it. And it's like, that was kind of scary. And it seems really harsh. You're like, that sounds so barbaric. Um, but what we have to understand is that God's purpose behind this law and what Jesus explains is that it actually was supposed to limit the amount of vengeance someone could bring upon another person. Because in that time, it was just like, okay. It wasn't just like, oh, this happened to me. We're just going to do the same. They were like, no, we're going to multiply the punishment and visit it upon you. If you remember back in Genesis, we we went through a story, a a lovely Bible story, where um, Dinah was raped. And so her brothers killed every man in the town where that guy lived, right? That was not eye for eye. Okay, that was what they did. And then, so what would happen? Well, that was Shechem. Shechem would be like, tell their kids and tell their grandkids, when you guys are big enough and strong enough, you guys are gonna get together and kill them. And more people, than, that's just how it worked. Vengeance was just like, you, ha- you remembered and you, you got a bigger clan and you went, because basically when you're like doing something to a town, you're really doing something to a large family, right? And so that's just how it was. Vengeance just grew and grew and grew and grew. So when God says, hey, hey, guys, just an eye for an eye, just a tooth for a tooth, he's limiting their, their vengeance and trying to make it so that the punishment fit the crime, okay? But Jesus isn't referring to a criminal act or, or even evil, The word here, when he says, don't resist an evil person, the word means like bad or troublesome. Don't resist a troublesome person. So this isn't like Jesus is saying, don't resist someone who's of the devil, right? Like he's referring to that neighbor who's always upsetting you or bringing hardship or persecution or calling the HOA (laughs) all the time, right? We are to resist evil, obviously. And in the first example he uses of someone who's troublesome, right? The first example, he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also, okay? So just in case we don't know what this means, can one of you guys come up here for a second? And, uh, or Craig. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but when we're, and we're picturing this, when, we're picturing what happens today, right? And if someone hits you in the face today, it's an aggressive attack, right? It's, it's, it could be a battery, right? If someone attacks you, it's an act of violence, to, to, I mean, most people wouldn't, if you got smacked in the face by another guy, you wouldn't be like, oh, what, violence? But it's considered, and if you did, okay, but, but it's not like an act of violence, okay? In Jesus' day, striking someone in the face wasn't actually battery, it wasn't breaking the law, it, and it wasn't actually trying to attack someone, it was bringing shame upon that person. You know, think more of the old movies when someone would like take off a glove, I don't know if you've ever seen it, take off a glove, and they're like, ugh. You know, and every time I do it, I just make that sound because that's just like, ah, you know, and you're just like, that's kind of embarrassing. Like if someone hit you with a glove, you'd be like, I'm actually more mad than if you'd punch me in the face. Right. So um, 
But also, so, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, probably not, but so it says, um, if, if, if you were to, if you're right-handed, right, most people are right-handed, and you were going to smack someone, um, it, it would be on the left side of the face, okay? Psh. All right, so, but a lot of times they would want to hit you in the right side, because this is your strong, you know how we talked about like last week, right and left, and right was the strong side, the perfect side. So the right side of the face is the strong side, the perfect side, right? If you look in a mirror and you go like this, and you look at your right side, you're going to be like, that looks good. You go like this, you're going to be like, ah, not so much. But so to hit someone on the right side of the face with your right hand, you have to go like this. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to make that. But doesn't that feel like more insulting if someone was just like, bam. You'd be like, I didn't like that. But if someone was like, ah, you'd be like, first of all, who taught you that? Okay. Second of all, so, so it wasn't, this was insulting. It was insulting. It wasn't a physical attack to hurt you. It was meant to do far worse. It was meant to shame you, to dishonor you. And so it's worse than being punched in the face. And in the Middle East, in many other areas, they have like completely different ideals when it comes to shame and honor. And honestly, it's still alive today. I don't know if you've ever heard of like honor killings um, that happen in the Muslim world. Um, it, it, sometimes if a, a child or relatives be, become a Christian, it brings a lot of shame on the family. And uh, I, we've seen in the news, I don't know if you've seen in the news, but like sometimes someone will kill that family member. Um, to bring honor back to the family, to remove the shame of that happening. And honestly, even though it's against the law, most people in the area are like, did what you had to do. Had to bring honor back to your family. And actually, it's more honorable for that person to kill that person and be in, j- than, than, and be in jail than to allow that person to bring shame on the family. So it's an entirely different idea and about honor and shame. And honor is a huge deal, a huge deal. So breaking the law to restore honor to the family is actually considered a good thing to do, okay? That's how important honor was and still is in many cases. So to be slapped across the face, it's an, it's an attack meant to shame you. So you're saying if someone's bringing great shame upon you, and what, and what does that do? It stings your pride, right? And what does the Bible say about pride? The other day I was in the car with my son. And I forget what he was doing. And I just looked in the rearview mirror, as you do. And I said, Flynn, what does the Bible say about pride? And he goes, and prejudice? <laughs> <laughs> and Daisy was like, my heart. Oh, I love that kid. And immediately he wasn't in trouble because um, obviously I hadn't talked enough about what, pride, what it says in the Bible about pride. We more talked about Mr. Darcy and the trouble that he brought upon Miss Elizabeth. Um, but we, we have that thing that stings our pride, right? And that's something, I mean, the reason we bring vengeance upon someone is, is because they brought shame on us. And we might not think about shame, but we know about pride, right? And, and self-respect, Right? And so he's saying, if someone brings great shame upon you, just let it go. Just let it, just let it happen. He's trying to point out what's important to him, what's important to the kingdom of God compared to what's important to man, right? Because what God sees as honorable and shameful is entirely different 
to what man sees as honorable and shameful. And God is setting up his standard for his people. He then says to continue this thing, he says, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And the original wording is if someone wants to take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. And the tunic or a chiton, it was a long cotton or linen, it was an inner garment. Um, and even the poorest person in Israel would have a tunic, would, would have this item of clothing. But the cloak was an outer garment that would be worn as a robe by day, and they would use it as a blanket at night. And they would only have had one of these. And the cloak was so important but there, that there was actually Jewish law concerning the cloak. And in Exodus 22, 26, it says, if you, if you ever take your poor neighbor's robe or cloak in pledge, you must return it to him before sunset, for that is his only covering. It is his clothing for his body. And what shall he sleep? And when he cries to me for help, I will hear him, for I am compassionate and gracious. So this outer cloak, which was also used as a blanket, it kept you safe from the weather. It kept you warm at night. It was so important that it had a law saying, if someone gives you your cloak and a pledge of payment, whatever happens, you have to give it back to him before sunset because it's so important, okay? But Jesus says, if someone comes and takes your tunic, give him, just give him this that is so important to your physical well-being. Just give it to him even though he didn't ask for it. In both of these instances, and I don't know if we're watching this, Jesus is demonstrating rather than taking revenge on someone, he's saying rather than taking revenge, which is getting back what they took, basically, he's saying you should be willing to give up more than you think is reasonable in terms of personal pride or ownership to be reconciled. You should be willing to give up more than is reasonable to be reconciled. Because to Jesus, reconciliation was more important than pride or these physical things, these material things. Because what is pride? And what are material things when weighed against the chance from heaven or the charge from heaven to overcome evil with good? He's showing that it's more important to give mercy than receive justice. It is more important to give mercy than receive justice. And sometimes that sucks. Okay, everyone, we want to receive justice. And even if we don't see justice in this life, we're just like, well, I just trusted that person's going to stand before God one day and he's going to be like, do you remember what you did to Nathan? And I'm like, bam, bam. Right? Because we, we want to receive justice, but God says it's better to give mercy. And he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And that may seem a little strange to us, right? Because the only time someone forces us to go walk a mile is when our wives wake up and say, are you going to walk with me today? And you're like, well, I wasn't going to. Just kidding. She, that doesn't happen. That's not a real example from our lives. Okay. Um, but like, who could force you to go a mile other than your spouse? or your friends, right? Or guilt. But, so this isn't something that happened, but Jesus is talking about like when someone compels you, like they understand someone having this power over, over you. And this, the Jews, this would bring to mind the hated Romans who were over them. 
a Roman soldier, just like the Persians and the Babylonians before, could compel a Jew to do whatever they wanted. If, that, if, if, I'm, if I'm a Roman soldier and I'm carrying a large pack, I could just grab a Jewish citizen and say, hey, you're going to carry this for me. Come on, let's walk. And we actually see this happen in the Bible. We actually see this when Jesus is carrying the cross and he's having some difficulty with the cross. A Roman soldier plucks Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd and says, you're going to carry that cross. You're going to carry that cross the rest away from him. He compels him to carry that cross. And this, that's actually a really good example of what Jesus is saying here. When he says someone compels you to go a mile with them, go with them too. And Jesus is saying, look, you're looking as if you are working unto this person and you're being forced to work under this person. And so you could get really angry about that, but you might not be working unto him. You might be working unto me. Do everything as if you are working unto me because Simon of Cyrene, which we'll get into years later, <laughs> years later, his life is changed from this moment that he's actually working for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and carrying the cross for Jesus, compelled by a Roman soldier. It's a perfect example of why Jesus is saying, hey, we're about the kingdom. We're about the kingdom. And, and, and it's so much more important than what it, what it might appear to be. He's, trying, he's constantly trying to show the people. I mean, this, is, this stuff is, I mean, even when we listen to it today, it's still a little crazy. I mean, we're used to it. So we're like, yeah, amen, amen. But then when you think about it a little bit, you're like, well, not, we, we like to go, well, I mean, that doesn't really apply to my situation because it's different, right? But, but it's, it, it's crazy. But Jesus is trying to show, hey, we're about the kingdom of God. We're about showing the love of Jesus. We're about changing lives. This is our mission. This is what we're about. And these are the things that I want you to do to show people who I am. It's very important. The ministry comes first for everybody, not just people that work at a church. And this statement would have been really offensive to the Jews, right? These people, are, they hate the Romans who are over them. And they're like, let me tell you something. I've got a word. If that guy tells you to carry his stuff, do it for twice as long. You know, people were like, I knew I didn't like this guy. I knew I didn't like this guy and what he's saying. I'm not down with what he's saying. Because like these Roman soldiers who treat us poorly, they force us into demeaning labor, who we are waiting for God to send a Messiah to bring about some justice. You're telling us, we're waiting for Jesus to say, I'm the Messiah, let's rise up. We're taking this, we're taking this back. And he's like, guys, listen to me. And they're like, yeah, give us the charge. And he's like, carry their stuff. You're like, okay, but then we're going to stab him in the back, right? Or something, Right? But I'm not trying to picture Jesus as this weak, pacifist person, okay? Jesus is just not fighting against flesh and blood. It says in Ephesians 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what Jesus is doing battle with, and that's what we are charged to do battle with. And in this last verse about revenge, Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And this is not a new concept. It says, it's based on Deuteronomy 15, 7. It says, if there's a poor man among you 
one of your fellow Israelites, in any of your cities, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not be heartless, nor close-fisted with your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend to him whatever he needs. Beware that there is no wicked thought in your heart. Which is like, even as you're giving to him, make sure that you're doing it with a kind heart. He says, it says, make sure there's no wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of release is approaching and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing for he may cry out to the Lord against you and it will become a sin for you. You shall freely and generously give to him and your heart shall not be resentful when you give to him because for this generous thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So this part about the seventh year, this year of release, every seventh year, and this is in the Jewish law, God stated that every seventh year, debt had to be wiped clean. And we observe this. We follow God's law. So I stopped paying credit cards every seventh year. I invite you to do this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but so we say, even if it's the sixth year and they ask for money and you know the seventh year is coming up, wouldn't that so likely, right? That wicked, you get that wicked thought in your heart, like he's asking for money and he's not going to pay me back because it's the seventh year next year. There's no way he's going to pay me back. He said, don't even think that. Give freely anyway. And I will bless you. I will bless you. Even if you're not going to get paid back. God repeatedly states to take care of the poor and the needy, the orphans and the widows. Man, throughout this section, it's surprising. I mean, this just shows you the power of the word of God that people are still standing around listening to what he's saying because it's backwards. All these things they're saying are like, that makes me feel happy. Give money, turn my cheek if someone hits me and bring shame upon my family. If I'm forced to go, I'll go to... Yet they're still standing and listening to what God is saying. Because there's power. There's power in the word. You hear something and you're like, man, that just sounds like God. It's so backwards. It's so against what I want to do. It's so against what my heart is saying. God, I'm crying out for justice. Give me justice. And he's like, I want you to forgive him. And you're like, that might have been my own thought. <laughs> no, you're like, I'm going to keep praying. Until I know that I know that I know was a word from God because that voice sounded foreign, right? <laughs> but they're standing around listening and listening because this is the word of God. And Jesus keeps saying, give up your rights, your belongings, your personal pride. Give up your honor. Give up your money and bless other people. Because if someone compels you to go one and then you go two, it's like, why are they doing that? Why are you doing that for me? All of a sudden, what I made you do is becoming a blessing to me. And all of a sudden, I thought I was controlling you, but now it's like I didn't control you at all. You were going to do it anyway. What's happening? Man, that's how, that's how hearts begin to change. When they have the question, why would you do that? Why are you doing that for me? And man, if you do stuff like this today, you will, you will get asked questions like that because it's not the norm. You can just be kind to someone. And they're like, why did, you, why, did you say, why did you say something nice to me? You don't know me. I'm like, well, I didn't start off the day hating you. Because it's so foreign. 
Jesus is like, this is, about, this is not about living for our needs, living for what we want or what we can get. It's about living unto God, working unto God. Like, it's not just about saying a prayer. It's about giving our lives to him. And this is what he asks us to do. And, and, and he's asked, this is what we need to do, doing what he asks, rather than what we feel we need or even what we feel we deserve. Because let's be honest, sometimes injustice happens. Sometimes we deserve justice. Jesus deserved justice too. It's no different. And then Jesus brings it all together with the next line. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And to be clear, when he's saying this, you've heard this, he's not referencing some Old Testament verse that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Okay, it doesn't say that in there. But we talked about the Pharisees and how they looked at the law and they interpreted it and said, okay, well, this is what this means. So love your neighbor is actually in there. It's found in Leviticus 19.17. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You may most certainly rebuke your neighbor. And you're like, oh, good, okay. But shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take revenge nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <gasps> That's back in Leviticus. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. But at this point, you know, we read the Bible and you say, well, what does that mean? And we actually see someone ask Jesus later, but who is my neighbor? And he's not really interested. He just wants to, you know... Um, God's law, they fleshed it out. Oh, thank goodness for the Pharisees that they could help explain everything, right? So they figured out, uh, okay, well, you only require your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Oh, well, it's the Jews. It's our people. It's the people we love anyway. Thank God. But we hate everyone else. And this is, or, and then maybe they started out with, what does, that, what, what does that mean? Who do we love? What does that mean concerning other people? And they would use a verse like Psalm 139, 19, that David wrote, and he says, oh, that you would kill the wicked, oh God. And this is, you know, David's poetry. We all write poetry like that, right? Who has, who has that? Um, Go away from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect and utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And so they use that verse and say, oh, man, David hates his enemies. We are to hate our enemies. Well, who are our enemies? Anybody that are not the Israelites. But if you look at this, what he's saying is he's talking about God's enemies. Do I not hate your enemies? Not do I not hate my enemies? Do I not hate your enemies? Not my personal enemies. And if you actually look at the end of the psalm and read through it, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Teach me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me. Am I your enemy or am I your friend? Search me because I don't want to be, he's, I don't want to be like those who hate you. I hate the wicked. I hate those who hate you. Please search me and tell me if there's anything in me that goes against you and lead me in the everlasting way. Search me and reveal if I'm like that. He holds himself under the same microscope. And he is saying, I, I, God, I hate what you hate. But the, the Pharisees interpreted this to be like, okay, we love the Jews, we hate everyone else. So when he says, heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, this is just like tradition that's been passed down, not, not out of the word of God, okay? And, and you certainly could love your enemies if you wanted to. You're free to do that, but you didn't have to, right? But Jesus is saying, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to be kind to people who are kind to you. Everybody does that. This is what Jesus is saying. What's special about that? What's special about being nice to people who are nice to you? He says, even the tax collectors do that. And let me say something. Everyone hates the tax collectors. Okay? These people are like the lowest of the low. They're the people who are Israelites, but are collecting money from Israelites to give to the Romans, the people they hate. They're the one who have sided with the enemy, who are helping the oppressor. Everyone hates tax collectors. Okay? And he's like, even the tax collectors do that. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you putting us on, mm, you putting on the same level with the tax collectors? All of a sudden, that was like a, ah, across their face, right? He's like, e- even they do that. Even they do that. You're nothing special. And then he ends with be perfect, just as God is perfect, right? Man, and there's still a crowd. There's still a crowd. I feel like, what is this guy talking about? Be perfect. Have you read the law? It's a lot of stuff. And this stuff, I hate. I hate this stuff. Man, I mean, even, even when we, and we know about grace, and we know what Jesus did, and when I say, Jesus says, be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect, we get a little like, oh, that's, that's a lot. But this is what we've been called to do. We've been set apart. We've been called to be holy. To be holy. Honestly, I feel like it's easier to attain perfection over holiness, right? Have I attained both? Maybe. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't laugh. Whoa, you laughed the hardest, babe. That's <laughs> something wrong with that. No, but we've been called to be holy, to be righteous, to be Christ like. In fact, Christian means followers of Christ, trying to be like Him to show him to the world. And we say, I'm a Christian. We're saying, hey, if you want to know what Christ was like, look at me. That's why, I'll tell you what, when I did drugs and I was an awful person, I did not tell people I was a Christian or that I knew Jesus. Probably like, no, no, no. Because I knew, like, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me for an example, okay? I am not, I know, I know God's real. I know he loves us. I know Jesus on the, Jesus down the cross. I'm going to get there, but just don't look at me right now because this is not... This is not an example, because I was aware. I was aware, and I'm not saying I'm not saying don't go tell people you're a Christian, but I'm saying there's weight to it. It's just a box we check. There is a weight to it. We are taking the name of Christ and putting it on every word we say and everything that we do. We've been called to be set apart and be holy, and and if people aren't seeing this in us. And if people aren't seeing this in the church of Christ, there's only one reason why. Because we're not like Christ. We may not be even trying to follow. We may not even be trying to be set apart. We may not even be trying to be righteous or holy. But this is the bar that Jesus sets. This is what he's asking of us. This is what my love looks like. And your love isn't going to change any hearts. Your love, and you may be a great person of great love, but your love will not change 
the world. Only God's love can. And you might be like, man, that, that's, that, that, that is asking a lot. But God doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing, because he's good. He's good. He's a God of justice. He's like, I'm going to ask him to do these things, but I'm going to show him how. And I'm going to tell him how. And I'm going to live it out so they can see. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it first. He was mocked and ridiculed. Mocked and ridiculed. The king of the world spat upon. They put a crown on his head and mocked him. Oh, you're the king? Ah. He was beaten. Worse than we've ever been beaten. And hung to die on a cross. Being perfect. Being righteous. He gave up earthly possessions. He humbled himself. And he, a lot more happened to him than being struck across the cheek. He gave more than was required for reconciliation with those who were vastly inferior to him. Is that justice? Because we want justice so bad. Is that justice when God gave up more than was required, more than what, than what we deserved to bring about reconciliation? And then we hold on to our hurts. We hold on to our scars. We hold on to the things people say about us. And we will not be reconciled. But Jesus says, no. Give up more than you think is necessary. Give up more than what you think is fair. I did it. And that's what I'm asking of you. And you know what else he did when he did it? He did not complain. He didn't complain. And in his goodness, he doesn't hold it over our heads. Do you know what I did for you for reconciliation? No. He continuously forgives. And you know why people are drawn to Jesus? Because of this. This is the very reason people are drawn to him. Because he gave up so much to be reconciled with us. And we don't deserve it. And we know we don't deserve it. And we can never deserve it. And he doesn't hang it over our heads. He didn't ask for justice. He gave us mercy. And he gave us grace. And he asks that we do the same. And it seems like a lot. But when you think about what he has done and what he continues to do in our lives... It's not that much, what he's asking of us. And it's this love that changes people. It's this love that sets people free. It's this love that changes the world. And if the world isn't changed, and if people aren't coming to know Jesus, we talk about it all the time, man, people are leaving the church in droves. People are walking away from Christianity. And we think, what, 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 how do we change the program? We obviously need to change the program at church. We need to make it more entertaining. We need to make it shorter. Obviously, it's in the way we're doing things, but if people aren't being changed and people aren't being set free and the church isn't growing, it's because people aren't being loved on as Christ loved on them. That's why. If we want the world to become Christians, 
We need to become Christians first. If we want people to be followers of Christ, we have to follow him close. We can't rebel against his commands or make up qualifiers for why we can't actually do that or why it's a good reason not to actually do that. Or if you only knew, or I'm waiting for this. He didn't say any of that. He said, be perfect as I am perfect. Be set apart. Be righteous. Be holy. Forgive. Reconcile. Show mercy and grace rather than requiring, requiring justice. Now, it's true, we are washed white as snow. We are washed white as snow. But there is a forever sanctification process that happens through our walk. Okay? Just like in real life, okay? Like, we shouldn't expect someone to get saved and all of a sudden they're holy and they're mature in Christ. There's different behaviors from babies and children and teenagers and people in college and young adults and older adults, right? And just like there are stages in life, there are stages in spiritual development. And there are different expectations in spiritual development. But too often, guys, we just have a bunch of baby Christians. Just a bunch of baby Christians. And what do you expect from babies? Hopefully nothing. We're going to be really disappointed when you have one. (laughs) Babies take. Babies need to be provided for. Babies don't give a lot. Give a lot of spit. And babies are learning. Babies are learning. We have to be patient with people in different stages of their Christian walk. But we have been called, even if we are babies, we've been called to adulthood. We've been called to be providers. We've been called to be the ones that are carrying the babies before they can walk. We're supposed to help the toddlers in their faith walk and pick them up when they fall and help them get through their hurts. But often, even, the, even though everyone's a baby, we're impatient with babies. God has called us to so much more. He has called each person in this room to be a man and a woman of God. To grow in their faith. To be more like him. And guys, we have to try. That's what we've been charged with. That's what we've been called to do. That's what we've been called to be. And I want to see the world changed. I want people to know the love of God. I want to see people in my family changed. I want to see my friends changed. I want to see lives changed. And it's not going to happen without the love of God. No one is going to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, if the followers of Christ aren't loving on them as Christ has called us to love on them. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a big charge, but I'm telling you something. If we do this, do you want your prayers to be answered? How long have you been praying for a certain person? How long have you given up on a prayer of a certain person? Stop praying, and I don't mean stop praying. Add to your prayers and start forgiving. Start showing mercy. Start showing kindness. Start paying the debt to be reconciled, even if it's not your fault. Give more than you think is fair, more than you think is required. Show the mercy that Jesus showed you. Show the grace that Jesus showed you. And then watch as God begins to move through you to change those around you. That's how people were saved. That's how people got saved back in the day. 
people were like, you've got something and I want that. You're acting totally different. I want to know what happened to you. And that's not happening today because no one's seeing any difference. We've been called to love as Jesus loved. And he's not asking us to do anything he doesn't do for us. Not one thing. And I want to see that in this. I want to see it in the church but I want to see it in this church. I want to see it in our lives. I want to see God move. Do you want to see God move? Then let's truly become followers of Christ. And we're going to begin today. I'm going to pray. And I want everyone in this room to be thinking of someone that you need to be reconciled to. That you've been praying for justice with that person. We're praying that they would come to see. And let's pray for them. And if you can't think of anyone, think of someone that you hate with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And pray for them. And guess what? We're all going to do it together, okay? We're all in here right now praying for people we hate. It's okay. It's going to be hard. No one's going to leave here being like, that was great but we're doing it anyway because we've been charged to do it. All right, Lord, and if you need help with who you hate, I know a few of you, I can help you. (laughs) Just kidding. Lord, I just pray right now. I just pray that you would teach us, Lord. Teach your people. Teach your people how to be more like you, Lord. Help us to love as you love, Lord. It is hard to pray for our enemies. It is hard to seek reconciliation when we feel like the other person is not or when we feel like we're the one that deserves an apology, Lord. But you gave more than was required. You gave more than what is fair to us, Lord. And you say you will forgive us as we forgive, Lord. Help us to be a forgiving people. Help us to love as you love, Lord. And it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. The sanctification process is not easy, Lord, but I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. I want to be the man that you've called me to be. And I know, and I know what it requires because it says it in the word and you say the same things over and over, Lord. And so we pray for our enemies, Lord. We lift up our enemies, Lord. We lift up the people who have hurt us and don't care. We lift up the people who repeatedly hurt us and don't care. We lift up the people who attack us, attack our families, attack our loved ones, and do not care and have no remorse and are not seeking reconciliation and are not seeking penance. We lift them up, Lord, before you. And we pray that their lives would be changed. We pray that they, of all people, would experience the love of Jesus. That they would experience forgiveness. That you would put it in our hearts as a burden to be reconciled to them. That you would give us opportunities, Lord. That you would fill us with the same mercy and grace that you have shown us, Lord. And I pray that to understand that, Lord, that we could get a sense a true sense of the mercy and grace you show us. I just pray that as we go through this season, Lord, that it's not just about presence or or even, I don't want it to just be about baby Jesus being born, Lord. I want us to truly see it 
as your mercy and grace being poured out on a vastly inferior people who demand justice for ourselves, but are given mercy and grace by a God who deserves justice. Fill our hearts with the love that you have for us, Lord, and help us have an outpouring of that love, Lord, to those around us. Help us to forgive. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be perfect as you are perfect. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we praise you that you love us so, and that your love is perfect for us, and that your mercy and grace is continually poured out upon us, and may we do the same. Help us, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.